Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bitters.net. I am Sean Claybo, your host. And with me today, we have two co-hosts, Caleb Wells. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey, Caleb. How's it going? Good. And Wei Lu. Hey, Wei. Hey. Sean. Hey, Caleb. Good. Well, it's just yeah, us thanks. today. So, I was going to ask, Wei, yeah, how cold that's... is it down there right now? Is it cold? Yeah. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Like, we're yeah. in the middle of winter. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, it just depends. <laughs> like, cold is relative, right? So, we get to about 35 okay. Fahrenheit, I'm guessing. Okay. 35, yeah, 40 Fahrenheit. So, yeah. like, I'm trying to do a conversion. I'm probably getting completely wrong. So, well, yeah, like maybe five or six, so I reckon, mm-hmm. overnight. It was, it's probably one or two outside. And that's about as cold as we get, but that's nowhere near as cold as it gets for Sean. Yeah, yeah. But no. for, yeah, but for yes, reference, yes. today in New Orleans, the heat index is 111 degrees. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'll take your. Wow, that's that's forty or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've had it's a little we've had a crazy spring. It's been wet, 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 and it's like we've had some like the, the coldest highs of a day of the mm. day. You know, a couple of weeks ago and last week, but then yeah. this week it started to warm up. So we actually were supposed to be getting into the eighties for the first time uh, this summer this weekend, and uh, that that is just way late for us normally. So, but we just had the, the, the longest oh, day of the year. So that's yeah. good for us. And way you got your shortest day of the year? I was yeah. gonna, um, I'm guessing I don't know when it I was. I was going to say um, the Earth and weather. It's it's so weird how it works. <laughs> I mean, it's not really. It just it is. <laughs> but it's it's so, flat. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then why aren't we all at the same temperature? Hmm. Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Okay. So this is just the three of us today. <laughs> I figured we could talk a little blazer. I don't know if it's our guest's favorite subject. You're an expert now. I'm supposedly the resident expert at, at my company. I mean, I'm doing lunch and learns every month, teaching people bits and pieces of Blazor. And I'm actually building out a couple of Blazor apps right now. So I I guess I am. (laughs) But there's a lot that goes into building and deploying a web app, right? And the typically the, the companies creating them try to make a lot of this as easy as possible or configurable, right? You just have to figure out how they do it and best practices and patterns. I mean, I've been there with Angular and Sean, I'm sure you've been there with React, right? No, I don't do React. No. Nope. I thought you did. No, nope. uh, must have been somebody else. Just Angular. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been there with Angular. Uh, so, so, well, so. <laughs> no different, right? It's kind of the same way, except for the fact that it's still 
a very young framework, right? It is production ready. There are a number of websites out there running Blazor and more all the time. But there's a couple of gotchas that we're running into that I've had to to dive into and, and figure out how, how we want to handle them, right? And one of those is environment variables. And this is specific to Blazor WebAssembly, right? Because Blazor WebAssembly is cross-platform and you don't have to use a .NET backend. But one of the, the interesting things about Blazor in that aspect is you cannot expect for a Blazor WebAssembly application to be using a .NET backend or be hosted on .NET, right? And because of that, in the source code right now, Blazor is kind of limited to two environments, development and production. Those words exactly. And of course, if you're doing demo apps or you're working locally or testing, you don't run into this issue. But when you get ready to put it into production or other environments, you do. So here's the thing. By default, when you spin up a WebAssembly app, and in this case, I am talking uh, a .NET Core hosted because there, there are issues in on both sides, but I'm talking one that's got a .NET back in, right? Your launch settings are going to have a SPNet Core environment set to development. If you change that to something else, anything else, and try to load it, you're going to get a 404 or the app's going to fail, which, which when that first happened, I was like, I must be doing something wrong. Right. What did I do? But it's it's just kind of part of the way it's been built in in that aspect. So if you're doing debug or you're working locally, it's basically going to set the environment to development. When you go to release it or publish it, it's going to set the environment to production. And so if you have an app settings.json and an app settings.development.json, it's going to work fine, really. You'll be able to do your local development. You can push it to a dev box and set it to do development there. And then you can have a production box that has your actual production URLs or databases or whatever, right? But I'm assuming that most companies don't necessarily follow Microsoft's patterns in this regard. I know mine doesn't. My company uses DEV, UAT, and PRD as our environments. And as our ASP.NET Core environments. Yeah, go ahead. I also think it'd be pretty rare to um to be on a project where there's yeah. literally only yeah. two environments, like yeah. development and prod. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know if this was a an oversight or or shortcoming of Blazor as it currently stands. Yeah, yeah, it could or be a feature. feature. I do know that there are a number of GitHub issues or issues on GitHub for it. And I also know that they are saying that they plan to expand upon it or add to the functionality for .NET 7, but to not expect anything before that. So there's a few ways around this, though. And they're all kind of hacks, but there are ways around it, right? So I can go through a couple, and, and I'll, I'll post this uh, very long issue that I have that's got all kinds of good nuggets in there. But one way that you can do this is in your index.html on the same page that you're loading the Blazor WebAssembly JS file, you can actually add some JavaScript that calls the blazor.start and based on your URL, say whether it's localhost or whether you've got UAT in the, in the domain, you can tell it which environment to set. 
Now, that's that's kind of that's not ideal, right? I mean, that's far from ideal. Another way that you could do this, and this is again JavaScript based, is you could actually set up multiple build configurations in Visual Studio and actually manipulate the project in MS Build to pipe in the config, which you could name for your environment you know, for your environments, into a JavaScript file that then sets the Blazor environment before the Blazor WebAssembly is loaded. That's another JavaScript solution. And you're going to kind of see a pattern here. All these solutions do similar things, just in slightly different ways. But one thing I do want to say, it's it's actually, once you get into the nuts and bolts of Blazor, it's very interesting how, how it all works. There's actually a uh, blazor-boot.json file that is built on the fly anytime you run a Blazor WebAssembly app. And it has references to all of the .NET namespaces or tooling it needs, as well as the version of .NET that you're using. And it also has a header when it's loaded for uh, Blazor-environment, which you can also manipulate. So that's, and, and I think this, this JSON file is in part how they do some of the tree shaking, right? Because it only pulls what it needs, especially when you're doing a release or a publish. But you know, the, so the going back to JavaScript options, they're, they're there and they're viable, but I really don't like putting that kind of stuff in such an easily accessible place by anyone to go find, right? Yes. So it would it's, be on the front it, end. It would, it would actually or? be in the index.html, which isn't going to be loaded directly by Blazor, right? But you can still get to the file and see uh, the contents. So another way to get around this is to actually add some calls either in when you're using static files or you're mapping your fallback for Blazor. You can actually manipulate the headers of the Blazor boot.json or of all the calls and change the Blazor dash environment to an environment of your choosing, right? And to me, that's that's a little cleaner, right? And it's going to be in the code, so it's going to be part of the DLL, so it's going to be harder to, to access. It's not going to be as available. But, you know, in my testing, I've still run into issues where it's not getting the values that I want to get because it's not getting the correct app settings file, right? So... I'm using that functionality in the startup or in the C-sharp boot process on the server side. I'm using that to set the environment to what I want to be, for instance, UAT. And that does allow me in my classes to actually check which environment I'm in and set certain variables, right, as needed. Um, stuff that I don't necessarily want to put in app settings or, or that is very specific to a certain use case. So I can do that. And I can't do is production, is development, is staging, which are built-in methods on the environment. But I can get the environment that I'm in based off of that. But I'm still getting the references from app settings and app settings.development in a number of cases, right? It seems that there's some inconsistencies here. So I'm actually thinking that what we're going to end up doing is similar to what a number of people who are running NGINX, NGINX, and, and running on Linux. And, you know, basically they're running a standalone version of WebAssembly is they are manipulating the app settings 
JSON files on build or like when they're doing Bamboo or an Azure deployment, right? They're manipulating them and they're taking the correct app settings file for that environment and they're overriding app settings.json. That way, you know that you're getting the correct variables for that environment because it's going to default to app settings.json. Yeah. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, that was going to be my, I guess this is the first time I've heard about the issue. So I don't have any context, but that was going to be my my first suggestion. Like I was going to ask you like whether yeah. you do have a CI/CD pipeline that you could possibly do all the whatever right. solution you have in there. You know, um, and, and here's the thing, right? This is, it's a bit annoying and it can be painful upfront. But once you figure out the pattern that works for you and your company and you do it once, then you're set, right? It's just figuring out what you want to do app-wise, figuring out how you want to to manage the the environment variables on your different servers using your CI-CD pipeline. Of course, not messing up other existing .NET Core apps that are running in those environments, right? And then getting a functional production version that doesn't leak any sensitive information, right? Or information where someone could could get in there and, and maybe jack around with it and get to somewhere they're not supposed to, right? But once you've got it set, you got it. But yeah, in the process of we're actually looking to deploy our first Blazor app in production in the next two weeks. So that's kind of why, why I'm in this mode right now is I'm finding these weird issues that we're just having to, to factor in and build around. And of course, you know, the larger your company is, the more segmented you are. So I don't have access to, to do a lot of our bamboo stuff. So I have to work with someone in DevOps who manages all that. So there's either this back and forth, right? But it's, it's an interesting problem. And, and I understand where they're coming from, Microsoft, when they develop this, right? And the factors that are taken into account. You know, I think in a lot of cases, you would expect companies are going to be getting most of their variables out of a database, uh, environment variables, which we're, we're not in a, a stable position to do that right now, at least not in .NET 6, because of our legacy tooling doesn't work with our new apps, right? It's, it seems odd to me <laughs> that they made it so difficult to, to, you know, set up more than two environments because, you know, yep. many, yep. many people get out dev, UAT, uh, dev, dev, test, UAT, and then prod or whatever. So, uh, and they're whatever you want to name them. Yeah. Yep. Are there, are there, is there feedback on like user voice and things like that to, hey, Make this easier? Uh, yes, there. Oh, well, and, um, and I'll post, uh, this one of the, uh, the issues on GitHub in the show notes. But this bug has been, well, bug, whatever, bug, feature, oversight, whatever you want to call it. It's been a, you know, his people have been asking about it 
or having to figure out ways to work around it since 2020. And I guess it hasn't been as high priority as some of the other things that they felt that they needed to tackle. And But there's a bunch of people asking why and how and what can I do to work around this and why do I have to put in these hacks to do what I need to do? And, and Microsoft, you know, basically said that we understand it's, it's an issue, but but it's an issue that can be worked around. And so it's not as high priority. And it's right now they're they're scheduling it as a .NET 7 milestone. So hopefully they will have a more robust implementation or options uh, by that time to make it easier on people in the future who want to use Blazor WebAssembly and be able to use whatever environments they need, right? So, I think um, I recently was working on yeah. Power BI. Actually, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if you, you, you use their development yes. pipeline they've got for Power BI. That yeah. also has a similar restriction. You can only have, I think, three right. environments or something uh, on your pipelines. I thought that was always weird. Like, why three? Why can't you add? Like, if you went to the trouble of building these pipelines, why don't you just well, add right. as many? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, available it's more money for Microsoft, right? Because <laughs> the more pipelines you set up, the <laughs> <laughs> and then you're running. That's that's the you, that meter's yeah. going. Yeah. So you know, I it would be interesting to know why it was developed this way, or if there were limitations, right? Bigger issues that 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 they kind of put in the corner when it came to this kind of stuff. You know, I have read some stuff, and 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 I'm not sure how valid this is, but depending on the version of WebAssembly you're using, it can't always find the environment variables. And, and I get that if you're not running a .NET backend, but if you are, that shouldn't shouldn't be an issue, right? And then the you know the how it references appsettings.json and how it pulls values in. You know, I've been doing some some playing around, and I've deleted my appsettings.json. Uh, I've deleted my appsettings.development.json, and it does not like that. <laughs> and so I, I think. The, the weirdest thing for me, honestly, is if you go to change app set ASP net core underscore environment in your launch settings to anything but development that you get a 404. I find that to, to be the weirdest thing of it. But I also think it's the first thing that people run into when they're trying to change environments. And they're like, what's going on? What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's just the way that Blazor WebAssembly works right now. So how much how much do the versions of WebAssembly web change? I guess I've never really thought about that. You know? Well, I think they're slowing down now, right? To be more in line with the .NET releases. But since 2020, I think it's probably been four versions somewhere somewhere around there. Because it is so new, right? And and they are figuring out things all the time and they're finding out better ways to do something or to add more performance or to tree shake or whatever else, right? They're adding new features all the time with .NET 6. One of the new things they added is a, I believe it's called header content or header tag component that allows you to inject content into the header of the index.html on a component by component basis, if needed, which I'm actually using for, for something else. But yeah, I, I think it's, I think it is slowing down there and they're, they're taking more time at this point. But, you know, for the past three years, it's been a good deal of, of changes. And I think right now they're just trying to stabilize things and, and cover some of these gaps. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's good to it's good to hear some of the, <laughs> the war stories 
you know, of someone who actually has used used the technology right. in anger. I well, think, you know, so. Angular had some of this stuff initially too, right? I mean, not this exact case, but things like, okay, where do I put this? And how do I add this to the config to tell it to do this and do that? And yeah, right. So I think, you know, some of this is just growing pains of a new framework, right? But we'll get there. Yeah, I remember Angular before they had the, mm-hmm. this, the recommended, you know, the CLI, I think. I was working on it beforehand. It was always a lot harder. Right. Now that they've got the CLI, yeah. they basically just you know, yeah. push everyone into one, yeah. you know, opinionated you solution. Me, before the thing, CLI, so. right, they, they were very opinionated about how they use Webpack, right? Because they had certain requirements. But you could eject the Webpack and write your own which I had to do, which was not fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I imagine that it yeah, is. I mean, <laughs> uh, current project that I have, because they're using a different architecture than what, you know, the standard Angular architecture. Yeah. I'm actually using Rollup to do all the building and stuff ah. uh, instead of the CLI and the Webpack stuff. So Okay. That's uh, yeah. a little interesting. Yeah. It's yes. almost inverse because it's a plug-in architecture. So instead of your what you're building being the main application, what you're building is just an add-in to the main application that gets all the different add-ins get built up when it gets deployed out to the production environments, things like that. So You mentioned that. Yeah, I remember you mentioned it at that one point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, uh, a, little, a little wild, wild west out here, but but I'm, I'm still enjoying it. Honestly, uh, when Blazor works, it's, it is awesome. It is a lot of fun. So yeah, I played around with it a lot, uh, but uh, just to get familiar with it, and so I've never had to go as far as you know setting up different environments and figuring out how to do that. So yeah, this is a a good discussion because you know for those people that are just starting out and haven't gotten that far, like me, right? Uh, it's good to know that. Cool. Right. Okay. Anything else, or should we move on? Move on to picks. I think I'm good. Okay. If any of our guests have any further questions or want to pick my brain, you know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yep. All right. Why? You want to start us off with picks? Sure. Yeah, so um, I haven't bought a, a Switch game in ages, actually, but I bought a new one the other day. It's uh, Mario Strikers Battle League. So I've just been playing that. It's I used to be, like really love it on the on the GameCube. It's just like a it's like a Mario soccer game, but um, you can do like kind of really funny things like you know hit each other and things like that. So yeah, it's pretty good. And it seems to have a decent kind of online thing, which I, I, I love playing online games right now. So yeah. That's how you've been playing. Hopefully, that'd be my pick. Okay. Caleb, what's your pick? That is a very good question. So, I think, well, I've been spending most of my time in Guild Wars 2 these days, but I can't pick that again because I already picked it. And I already picked the boys, which I'm really enjoying. It's really good. My pick, I guess, uh, for, for this week will also be a Switch game. So, we've been playing, you know, Zelda for years. And it's become a family thing where all three of us sit down and play together. And I got a demo for uh, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which is not a Zelda game, right? It's got the Zelda characters, but it's it's more of a, a beat-em-up. I'm blanking on the, the it, there's a name of the this type of game. Anyway, my son was like, Dad, Dad, I, I'm, I'm done with the demo. I've done everything I can do. I want more. And I was like, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's wait and see if it goes on sale. Well, it's never gone on sale, right? <laughs> so I ended up picking it up. A couple of weeks back, so we could actually play a little further into it. 
And it's it's a fun game. It's one of those you can just sit down and just kind of don't have to think too hard and just match a bunch of buttons and kill a bunch of cobalt and stuff. So, yeah, that's my pick. All right, cool. What I've been doing this week on the project that I'm working on has been researching different end-to-end type testing tools. And, you know, I was most familiar with using Cypress for doing Angular tests mm. and, and those types of things. And it was it was really good. And then, of course, there's always been Selenium out there and some other things. But I came upon and somebody told me to take a look at Playwright. So I don't know if any of you have looked at end-to-end testing tools. But uh, Playwright, mm. it's actually a Microsoft pro- product. So it will huh. do your end-to-end tests in the browser. And it's built by, by my Microsoft. So it works well. There's a plugin for VS Code, so you can run your tests, and you can actually even record tests right within VS Code. It'll launch the browser, and then allow, you know as you click on things, it'll record the different steps, things like that. And another nice thing about it is it actually has multiple languages that you can write your tests in. So you can write your tests in TypeScript, JavaScript. You can use Python. So if you write write tests Python or Java, or you can write your tests in in C Sharp. So lots of different ways that you can actually access the uh, Playwright API to run tests and do your all your stuff there. So definitely test out, check out Playwright, playwright.dev for if you're looking for something for doing testing. And I, I actually find it, uh, you know, better than Cypress. I thought I was going to end up with Cypress again, but I do yeah. like uh, Playwright. So it's it's fairly new, oh. but it's uh, working well. I was going to say, I wonder why I've never heard about it, but I guess if it's new, but it sounds great. Yeah, I mean, not yeah. new, 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 but uh, it's just becoming a, a lot more popular. So it's probably been around maybe four or five years, but it really hasn't caught on that well until some gotcha. more recent versions as far as I know. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, nice uh, episode, guys. Yeah. If our listeners want to reach out, and get in touch with us. They can get me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm at Caleb Wells Coach. Okay, great. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Thanks, guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.